So I see her running, I see a dust cloud, and I see rocks going down the mountain, and I see them all kind of coming together. The rocks start kind of flying over her head and had absolutely no idea where Cassie was. It got really loud and then really quiet. I'm Rebecca Huntington. You're listening to The Fine Line, real stories of adventure, risk, and rescue in the backcountry of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, with support from the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole. Backcountry Zero is a project of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation. You can support this project and the Teton County Search and Rescue volunteers by making a donation today. Visit www.tetoncountysar.org donate. If you like listening to The Fine Line, share us with a friend. In August of 2017, Will Grenier, his younger sister Cassie, and a friend Aaron Gibbs were all headed up the Middle Teton. They were all experienced hikers. At the time, 24-year-old Cassie worked as a recreational therapist. Her job involved taking children from troubled backgrounds into the great outdoors. Going up the Middle Teton was supposed to be a day off, but as they scrambled up a talus slope, a boulder slide buried Cassie up to her chest, causing life-threatening injuries. My name is Will Grenier. I've been living in Jackson for about two years now, working at the Western Center for Historic Preservation in Grand Teton National Park. Hi, I'm Cassie Grenier. I'm Will's younger sister. So I really wanted to see the eclipse in totality. My friends from Colorado were going to Jackson to see it. So I was kind of like, oh, well, my brother lives there. I have my friend Grant, who I also do a lot of backpacking with in Jackson. His brother was in town. We decided to just have a larger trip into the Tetons. Somewhere along the way, I invited Aaron along. Yeah, I think you just mentioned it at work, maybe. <laughs> My name is Erin Gibbs, and I've lived in Jackson for a little over two years now, I think. And I also work at the Western Center for Historic Preservation with Will. Yeah, so it was just kind of a, a informal trip. It wasn't like, oh, let's go do this big grand adventure. Let's just go have a little bit of fun on not exactly a very risky day, we thought. One night backpacking and one day to go up middle, the middle Teton. In the summer, I lead 20-day expeditions. And so they're very time stressful. I work with adolescents, teenagers, so anyone from 13 to 18, and it's through the Department of Children and Families in Connecticut. And I've seen in my work how powerful the outdoors can be for the human spirit. So when I'm doing a personal trip, usually I'm like, I don't want to even look at a watch, and I want to be able to relax while I'm there. (laughs) So there was Grant and his brother, and they weren't going to go up Middle Teton with us. In the morning, they were going to go over to surprise them. For whatever reason, the whole week before we had climbed the Middle Teton, I had kind of felt on edge my like whole time in the mountains. And I had got it in my head like, oh, but I'm with my older brother. Like, stop feeling this way. Like, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. So like I, at that point, was like had it so in my head that everything was going to be fine. I was really relaxed about it. I had more of an alpine start because I actually came from town that day. So I think I was on the trail at about about 5, 5.30. And I feel like I made it up to the meadows probably around 7 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I felt awesome. Yeah. Oh, man, I've never done it that fast. You definitely got there around 7 because I remember waking up with the sun and then wondering, I wonder if Aaron will actually come. I have no way of like, hearing from her. I don't know if cell service or anything like that. She said she'd get here around 7. So we all kind of started having breakfast and whatnot, and 
and Aaron came running into camp <laughs> right on time. <laughs> so a mouse in the bear box actually ate the majority of my food the night before. <laughs> so for breakfast, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have some peanuts. <laughs> that is true. The mouse raided the bear box and only yeah. hit her food. Like ripped apart packets, took it, all my food out of the packets and put it in a corner. Like didn't eat all the food, but clearly like moved it. We actually didn't make it that far past our campsite. Yeah. I think we got above the, there's a, you know, kind of that lower Garnet Canyon and the upper Garnet Canyon campsite there. And we actually got above that second campsite by maybe a quarter mile. We were going through, we were moving at a nice clip, but I mean, weren't going that fast. We saw a snowfield that a lot of people had been walking up, but I think we're all feeling really good. And, you know, we saw that there could be another route around the snowfield. You know, all of us felt comfortable doing it. And I think we'd all been in that, you know, same sort of landscape before. This wasn't anything new for us. So yeah. we thought, oh, it'll be fun to go climb on those rocks right there. And we'll meet up with the trail and really just a matter of a half hour, maybe. And then we don't have to worry about the snowfield. We had kind of stopped and talked about it, not mm -hmm. for a long time, but of like, well, we could go to the snowfield or we can go to which was our left over what looked like a boulder field. And there's a trail on the top of that boulder field mm -hmm. on the rim of the head wall which i had been up to before there was that 10 15 20 seconds of hey what route looks best today i remember as we were going up i was like wow this is looser than i anticipated it being i realized that we were kind of further to the right in it than i had i had been last time i went up that section it's an area that i've seen people go through before it's kind of the southern end of the head wall approach my name's Case Martin. I'm a ranger with Grand Teton National Park. Terrain in uh, Grand Teton is often, you know, snow covered, and that's throughout the year. This was late August, and we have seasonal snow fields that, depending on the year, are bigger or smaller. And with that, some of the approaches aren't designated trails, you know, going up to the south or the middle. The trail kind of depends on the time of year and often is snow covered. People try and avoid the snow fields, uh, whether they don't have ice axes or just think it'd be quicker, I think. But, you know, where these snow fields as they recede is often, you know, very loose boulders and steeper in those sections because they're catching more solar radiation and that can lead to tipping, falling. We had kind of thought there was more risk crossing the snow field. That's a really frequent thing in Grand Teton are these snow fields that, you know, persist throughout the summer. And that's depending on where folks are going, even in August, we often highly recommend ice axes and then having practiced using them and then yeah. makes those snow fields much more reasonable and much, much safer. Working in national parks, especially places like Grand Teton, I'm sure it's also Yosemite and Rocky Mountain, where when you turn on your computer, your home screen actually has an option to view all of the incidents um, that have happened in the last 24 hours. And so it's a pretty common thing that to pull that up as right when you get into work to see, you know, what the last 24 hours has brought for good or for ill. Over the past few weeks, I had remember seeing several incident reports about people sliding in snow fields and breaking ankles or um, needing assistance to get down the mountain again. So I think the danger of snow fields was very much so on our mind that morning, just because of the morning reports that we've been seeing lately? So I would say we were probably hiking up for 10 or less than 10 minutes. It didn't seem very far into it. We were staggered 
across the scree field, talus field, as we were climbing. So none of us was directly below any of the others so that if something did fall, like it would have gone past us. But because such a large part of the talus field started falling, she was still caught on the edge of it. I heard rocks falling and I just turned around and I, I, I see rocks going at my sister. And I think I yelled like, Cassie, rock, or I don't, I don't really remember. But there's definitely that moment of there's absolutely nothing I can do besides watch and see how this plays out. So I see her running, I see a dust cloud, and I see rocks going down the mountain, and I see them all kind of coming together. The rocks start kind of flying over her head and had absolutely no idea where Cassie was. It got really loud and then really quiet. And I started running down the mountain as carefully as I could. I can't say running, scrambling down. But meanwhile, being conscious of all these rocks just slid and I have to climb back down through them to get to her and I have no idea where she is I have no idea what state she's in and I don't want to cause the problem to be worse for all of us that are up there like, you know what's the situation but I do have to get to her as fast as I can everything was in like super slow motion for me when I was running I was like wow I'm really fast and agile right now like thoughts <laughs> like that were like running through my head <laughs> like and I could think about like well, if the rock is moving at that speed, what do I need to do? Well, if I don't keep running, though, all these other rocks are going to hit me. So I don't know. <laughs> it lasted an eternity. Because I was the middle person, and I was to Cassie's right. The rock, and I really should say boulder, I mean, these things are really big, that I had stepped on that had destabilized the slope. And that's the one, you know, I remember thinking, that rock should not be moving underneath my weight at all. The next thing I felt my body drop with that rock and I hopped off and that's when I turned and yelled rock and I could see Cassie like assess the slope and then saw the whole slope just become destabilized. But I was at this kind of oblique view where I could see Cassie running and kind of like Will, <laughs> I was just completely frozen and just shouting words that didn't make sense at the time. A small rock just came down and then I remember hearing rock yelled even louder in my like perspective or my view of it it seemed like the whole field had kind of just dropped and was running and it probably lasted less than 30 or 20 seconds but my memory of it and at the time it felt like it was an hour and I just like instantly ran to the left and like was watching these boulders fall down at me and I was like okay eventually I got to this point where I was like, that's a really big boulder. And if I keep on my projection, I'm going to like hit it and it's going to hit me and we're going to like perfectly meet. And then I just jumped behind this bigger rock and I hid behind it and I put my arms over the back of my head and kind of crouched into a ball and hugged as much as I could to the back of this rock, saw the big rock that I was like, I don't want to mess with that roll over me. And then I denied all lots loss of consciousness <laughs> for a very long time until recently. I was like, wow, I don't really remember how these two other boulders landed on top of me. I must have lost consciousness right after that larger boulder. It rolled over me and I remember that. And I remember my head was like the worst pain I could ever imagine and I remember thinking like 
I didn't just hit my head, right? The whole thing was super slow motion because I could see, I could see her running and eventually crouched down. I saw that she had found a, as safe of a spot as she could. I can only imagine how scary it was for Will to be up where he like, couldn't see what's going on. I could see the rocks going over her. Like I've never been so terrified in my whole entire life. I opened my eyes and I was like, wow, there's a lot of blood everywhere. <laughs> like, where's that coming from? Nothing, like my head hurt for that instant when it got hit. But after that, I was really not aware of the amount of pain I was in. Or I thought, oh, well, if I deny all pain, it's not really there, right? Like, <laughs> it will be okay. And in my head, this is kind of a funny, quirky, like, thing for me. But I was like, huh, will I ever hike again? Like, should I do this again? What, when they asked me this, what am I going to say? <laughs> and I remember being like, yeah, of course I'm going to hike again. And then the next thing I knew, they were over to me. Will, I think you got there first. Like he said, I was, I was really cognizant of the slope and how it had just completely shifted. And he was, I mean, it was just like full big brother mode that like he <laughs> was going. And I was like, he needs, he needs to be there first. I'm going to stay right here. And then when he needs me to be over there, I'll be over there. So when Will got over to me, I remember asking like, do I have all my teeth? Like, I remember thinking like, there's a lot of blood and I have no idea where it's coming from. And like, I remember it being like tasting it. And I was like, he was like, smile for me. And he was like, yeah, they're all still there. And I was like, then what's bleeding? And he's like, oh, you have a small cut on your head. And I was like, oh, well, head wounds bleed a lot. So that makes sense. There's a lot of blood. <laughs> I think kind of what helped me be calm was I saw in Will's eyes how totally freaked out he was. So I was like, okay, be calm because it's okay. It's okay. Someone has to be. <laughs> so I got there and she had a large boulder pinning her chest. And her legs were kind of dangling oh, yeah. um, out from beneath. Yeah. So she wasn't, she was kind of pinned between a bunch of rocks. And she had a lot of blood all over. And I remember as soon as I saw her, I was like, we are not getting out of this without outside help. I'm almost positive the first thing I, I did was turn to Aaron and say, like, call for help. Before I asked Will any of those questions, he moved the rock off my chest because it was pretty apparent, like, it was a fairly large rock. If that rock stayed on my chest, I wasn't going to keep breathing. And you kind of had blood in your mouth? Yeah. And I just remember saying, like, is, can you breathe or is that rock crushing you? And you kind of mumbled something. It was very clear <laughs> that, that it was. And I remember thinking, this rock is moving. I remember quickly assessing it being like, can I move this rock a couple inches without it causing more trouble? And I was able to. Anyway, so that was the very first thing. I think she'd said, my jaw might be broken. <laughs> mm, I don't know. It's, it's like all sideways. <laughs> it was clearly broken. But and her teeth were all pushed in and mangled. And I didn't want to like say more. <laughs> so yeah, I just remember trying to help clean her up as best I could, um, cover the laceration on her forehead as best I could, and just wrap her in as all the warm clothing that I could. And I put her feet on my legs so she had something to sit on that wasn't, like she was pinned on her thighs, so I put her on me so she was a little more like, stable in her position. My legs were dangling underneath the rocks, so it was kind of like relief to not have all the pressure. At one point, Will switched with Aaron. Will stepped out and Aaron came in pretty shortly after the first phone call. And I remember looking at Aaron and going, how am I alive? Like, and you were just like, 
I don't know, or <laughs> something like that. I remember that very yeah. vividly. You know how you laugh in situations that you just can't handle. Yeah, and I think I remember saying, I don't know, but you are. Now in like retrospect, I'm like, how did anyone understand what I was saying? Because it must have been so mumbled. But I remember telling Will, when they get here, they're going to want my sample, which is like in wilderness first aid, the assessment of injuries. And I completely skipped over the S, which is symptoms, because I was like, that's obvious. And then just went down and told them like everything that they were going to ask, because I was the sooner I can get out of here, the better. So if you can just reiterate this information, that's better. It was below freezing that night up there and very cold. And as the sun was hitting the rocks, obviously it was getting warmer, but where Cassie was positioned was in the shade throughout this entire process. So she was getting really cold really fast. And um, we essentially gave her all of the clothing we had to try and wrap her in warmer. And we did have emergency blankets, emergency first aid kit, which was trapped on Cassie's back. So we were switching out, like we were both getting cold. Aaron and I were getting cold as well as Cassie and taking turns standing in the sun and then hold, like just being there with Cassie. And Cassie started looking worse and worse. And that's when I remember asking Aaron, like, can you call again? Um, just to see if we have an estimate for when the helicopter, when someone might end up up here, just because Cassie's condition did seem to be worsening. I remember when Aaron was on the phone, I remember being like, tell them I'm going to be in shock. Like, tell them I'm not doing well. Like, trying to be like, can they be here now? Your your teeth were starting to chatter, and yeah. you were just slowing down, I remember, thinking, oh, God, they got to be here soon. They got to be here soon. I am just so thankful that, I mean, say what you want about Verizon, but I was able to make a phone call, which is pretty amazing, and my phone battery didn't die or anything. It actually pretty much died the second the Rangers got there. Aaron was, like, rubbing me, trying to keep me as warm as I could. I told some pretty inappropriate jokes, I remember. <laughs> we listened to music on Aaron's phone as well, which was really calming. I remember you asked for jokes. Yeah. I kind of want to hear the and, jokes now. Oh, and you told me um, about how trees talk to each other, and you oh, told me yeah. some stories. And you, like, really kept me alert, making sure that I was, like, still there. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I did not want you going to sleep on me. Yeah. <laughs> Especially throughout the Tetons, there's a fair amount of loose rock and a lot of scree fields, and a lot of them are really big boulders, and they're just teetered. You know, all these different shapes combined together can lead to quite a bit of instability, even though they seem like they should be stable because they're such large rocks. You know, call came in, it didn't sound great. Rockfall, we've had uh, pretty major SARS up there in the past. Uh, just due to the instability of that part of the Tetons. You know, all those rocks came from somewhere and it's higher and gravity's bringing them all down lower. But as melt freeze happens, the water will sneak into little cracks and little spaces in between rocks. And, you know, as water uh, freezes, it expands. And as that happens, it continues to slowly, you know, break off chunks of the mountain. So we all showed up at the rescue cache and uh, it was Jim Spring was already there and he was the incident commander. And I got there along with uh, Ken Christ and Drew Hardesty. We expedited everything that we were doing. And actually, I'd, it seemed like a long time to you guys, but it's one of the faster uh, responses from call to helicopter landing on scene that we've had uh, in the Tetons. And we felt very fortunate that we were able to fly that day. I think a lot of folks forget that 
helicopters can't always fly and it can seem really calm in the valley, but in the mountains, the, the winds can prevent us and visibility can prevent us from flying. So we were very fortunate we could, we could fly that day. We have a really, really uh, good pilot we've been working with for years and he's landed up in that area a few times. So it worked out really well because he's like, I can put you guys right there. And it was fairly close because mm -hmm. we weren't sure, you know, due to slope angle, where we were going to be able to land. I remember seeing Will kind of standing and waving. And then I quit looking and just started preparing for, you know, landing, getting out and being efficient. And, and I remember right at this moment when things were starting to look worse. I don't know how long she can sit here and wait. And I, you know, we haven't heard from you. Like, obviously, how do you com communicate with us? Um, <laughs> and we said, oh, what's going on? Uh, that's about when the, we heard the helicopter coming up through the canyon. And that noise the, of the the rotor as it as it ascended up into the canyon was maybe the best noise I've ever heard in my life, to be completely <laughs> honest. Um, and you guys kind of flew past, past us at first, the, the first pass. And so it was like, oh my God, they're finally here and they're going away. <laughs> so it was that like um, twofold best thing ever and worst feeling ever, like simultaneously. <laughs> and I hope they saw us, but then you really quickly turned around and um, kind of hovered for a couple seconds. And we were like, okay, they know where we are now. And started to, to land. We were picturing like a really big, you know, five or 600 pound rock that we were going to have to deal with. And it, it was a, still a very large rock. I, I mean, I know Will moved it initially. I think he probably big, strong guy. And then some adrenaline helped with that. We were able to then, <laughs> with more of us there, roll the rock off to where it wouldn't hit her as we were moving it because we were concerned it was big enough that we caused more injury with moving it. So I remember when Case first introduced himself, I was like, everything's going to be okay. Like, I just felt so much more reassured and relaxed at that point. And I was kind of like, how can I expedite this process as much as possible? And I guess I was in this kind of state of denial that anything had happened. And I remember him asking, what's your pain level? And I was like, oh, it's an 8 out of 10. It's not that bad. Like, And I remember him palpating my spine, and I denied all pain completely. And then he, like, touched my jaw, and I was, he was like, oh, it might be dislocated and I remember another search and rescuer took the piece of clothing off of my head and I remember him just saying oh I'll put that back on I don't think I had any response but I was like it's just a small cut we'll say it's just a small cut what's happening <laughs> but I remember just feeling so relieved that they were there. And I remember thinking to myself like, oh, I don't know when I'm gonna see Will and Aaron next. They're probably gonna continue on up the middle Teton. I don't know why I thought that, but. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> For the record, that did not happen. We did not go climb the middle yeah. Teton. <laughs> <laughs> like at the time, I remember looking at Will and I knew that you were having a really hard time. I mean, it's your sister. I, I remember thinking, like, just don't, <laughs> just focus on what is happening right now. Like, see how useful you can be. Because it was like, if I, if I went to talk to Will at all, I was just going to lose it. So it was just, yeah, I just remember them getting there. And I think one of my first things was pretty much like, what can I do? 
would give me something for my hands to do, which I'm not a medical professional. There's nothing for me to do. <laughs> but I remember, yeah, an immense relief and um, being like, okay, if they're here, it's gonna be, it's gonna be okay. Yeah. It's it's not okay, but it will be okay. Yeah, I definitely remember um, you and I just kind of standing off to the side, not talking at all, and just. I don't know, just, it was really kind of a weird moment to just be standing there with absolutely nothing to say, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> Second that, just, we were standing there not talking. <laughs> mm -hmm. I also remember being so unbelievably grateful and also in my head going, wow, like now everyone here is in danger because I'm in the circumstance and they're willing to put themselves there. And I remember just being so grateful because they saved my life and and like instant gratitude and there was one thing i actually noticed when i haven't i haven't really talked about this but when we were staying there another group climbed through the boulder field above us and i remember just sitting there and watching it and like not wanting to like just not knowing what to do and just watching them cross <laughs> right above us and i don't know how they were oblivious to the fact that we were there i mean there's five people six of us and anyways, this, this group passed above us in the boulders. And I just remember watching, like, I hope those do not move. And I remember that being a really, really scary moment. And then they, they passed through with no problems, just kind of joking, having a good time hiking on. And they did the route. I watched them. They did the route we wanted to do. But We have a ranger in the helicopter who's the spotter when the litter came in on the initial load. Relayed that to us that they were up above us. So Drew Hardesty was keeping an eye on, on them also. It's really good to have an awareness, you know, of other people's emergencies that are happening around. Or if you s see the helicopter coming in and you can tell it's a rescue and there are people working of, you know, not going above or, or at least checking in to make sure that you aren't creating more of a hazard for the folks who are already having a bad day in the mountain and also the rescuers. Depending on the situation and where we're at and the timing, sometimes we'll even put spotters up to keep people from walking above our rescue operations. But... That's not always a, a thing that we're able to do. I just remember that I was like, wow, you're really tough. Because <laughs> she was doing really, really well. And just judging from, you know, the injury to her, her head and then the oral trauma that she had and just the overall uh, trauma that I was assuming was associated with these rocks going over, like she was, was handling it really, really well. I mean, she was really cold, and you guys did a good job of having puffy coats. You know, it's end of August, and people often don't bring enough insulation with them, but you guys had a lot of insulation, and you wrapped as much of it around her as you could with where she was wedged. Gave her some medication that helps with uh, nausea, because I had a pretty good idea we were going to be short-hauling her out. And then also, that helps with the pain medication that we give. You can only give so much pain medication though, so we can't take all the pain away because we're still concerned like if we give too much, depending on what we're giving, it can cause people to quit breathing. And... I remember when you administered it, um, you cut my shirt and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you saying, this is gonna take some of the pain away, but not all. And I was kind of like, I don't have any pain. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think you took her blood pressure. And wasn't it just crazy, either very regular or super low? Do you remember this? Very and low, I think. I feel like I remember seeing you look at whoever read it or vice versa with kind of this look of alarm and Cassie just going, 
That's totally regular. <laughs> I typically run really low blood pressure. Two years ago, I took my first wilderness first responder course, and when we were learning to do blood pressure, people would either make it up when they took my blood pressure or do it over and over again because they kept thought they were doing it wrong because it was too low. <laughs> and once we get her in the in the splint and in the litter, and the pilot comes in, and then it's all. It's all his show. You were just like, I'm really cold. And I'm like, don't worry, we're about to go to where it's warm. Yeah. Because, you know, when you're up high at 10,000 feet, you know, it's cold and we're on the north face, not in the sun. And, you know, in a couple minutes, you drop 3,500, 4,000 feet and you're in the sun in Lupin Meadows and it's a warm, good place to be. I remember spinning <laughs> and like going round and round. And I know at one point I asked Case, is this normal? And I don't know if he heard me or not, because obviously it was pretty loud in the helicopter. But after he was like, we're going to be okay. We're almost there. So it kind of made me go, okay. <laughs> yeah. There were some downdrafts uh, as we were getting short hauled out. So it's just yeah. the pile had to have a little bit more forward speed. And so there's a little spinning and then it calmed down as we exited the kind of the mouth of Garnet. I also remember being put so much at calm by the fact that Case was tethered in or I don't know however he was attached but how he was attached to the litter, litter so he was there with me the whole time I think made me feel like okay <laughs> and I remember when we were in the litter I remember trying to like find something to grab onto <laughs> even though I didn't need to because I was buckled and strapped in I just remember being I don't know uncomfortable or anxious about like oh my goodness I'm hanging from a helicopter I, at this point, my eyes were completely closed shut. They were, couldn't see anything, but I was on this table. I'm assuming it was a table, and I remember there were a lot of voices and a lot of people making a plan. I was transferred in an ambulance to St. John's, and whoever was in the ambulance with me, I remember them knowing every single bump in the road that we were going to cross, and they were like, okay, a bump's coming up, okay, okay, another one, just like as a warning of, it's going to be bumpy now. And I'm like, how do you know this? Like, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that you have such awareness that every bump in the road is going to be really painful. So I went to St. John's and I was there for a little bit. And then I was air transferred again to Eastern Idaho Medical Center. In the second helicopter, my blood pressure and heartbeat were very low. And I remember him going, you're going to be good, Zen Buddha. Like, it will be okay. <laughs> and he would call me the Zen Buddha because my heart rate and blood pressure was so low. And I was so calm. I think Cassie was the only one of the three of us who would have survived that. Like Somehow she had enough presence of mind that I don't know if I would have had to, to get out of that and to remain calm throughout the whole thing. My pancreas ended up being in critical condition. I chipped the end plate of my C5, so of my neck. I dislocated and shattered my jaw. I shattered my no my nose and sinuses. I shattered my arches, my cheekbones. I shattered my upper palate. <laughs> I shattered my frontal lobe. And I shattered my eye orbits. The small cut on my forehead is actually probably six or seven inches. <laughs> that exposed, I was told, exposed my skull. I was also diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury, so I've gone to a lot of physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. 
In the winter, I live in Colorado, and I work with people with disabilities and teach adaptive sports and adaptive skiing. My goal was always to get back out there and to continue back working with those people and thinking like, wow, everyone who sustained a spinal cord injury, like having so much more empathy and more understanding for how things can happen, things can occur. It's been a long journey and kind of against my nature of sitting still. Um, friends would call me and be like, how are you doing? What's going on? What have you been up to? And I'd be like, nothing. I slept for 23 hours. And they're like, no, really, what have you been doing? <laughs> um, but in my recovery, my friends and family were so supportive. The amount of cards that I was sent from friends who I haven't talked to in a while or friends who I had just seen. It was amazing the amount of support that I received. I looked forward to being able to check the mail every day and see who was sending messages and who was coming and it gave me something to look forward to. I guess something I would do differently is have more than one first aid kit since the first aid kit was trapped in my backpack and our emergency heat blanket was tra trapped in my backpack. What is still one of the hardest things um, about the whole situation is that, you know, all three of us, we love being in the mountains. And this this wasn't our first time being in the mountains. You know, this wasn't this wasn't a landscape we weren't used to. This wasn't an aspect we weren't used to. Um, and it's not even that we were necessarily complacent. When we were in that boulder field, five, well, we were only in it for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so the timeline's kind of hard here. But I was up near the top, and I remember thinking, we need to move to our left. But then I felt this moment of, like, I don't want to just be the one guy on this trip telling all the women to move left. Like, they're, they're both capable out here. And actually, they have more experience out here than I do. So I don't want to be like, hey, everyone, let's move left. You know, like. That's what I think safe. That's, and but the thing is, I wish I did say, I I think we need to be more to the left. Well, last time I had been in that Boulder field, I was more to the left. I don't know. I realized that at this one moment, just didn't speak up. I don't know how long, how far before the whole accident happened that I thought that. Like I don't, I don't really remember. Then the accident happened. So for me, that's a really weird thing because I, I wasn't happy with that like the conditions in the boulder field that as i was seeing and i wanted us to move left but i didn't say anything and i wish i did when i think back on this about what we could have done better is one i should have said something i should have like hey paused our our ascent we were going really fast like i, sh I should have kind of paused us and like hey like what do you all think of this slope like maybe we could have had another conversation while we were up there i've always felt really capable in most situations that i've been in my life where I feel like I've been able to get out of them even other scary situations I've had in the in the woods or the mountains like I've been able to get out of it and watching that boulder hold down the mountains like well there's nothing I can do about that absolutely nothing and to sit there and release that and like see what my sister's going through and know that there's absolutely nothing I can do here besides just not get in the way is a really weird feeling and then when you relate that to your general experience in the mountains and how quick things can go. And rocks are really hard and heavy. The mountains are huge. They can really mess you up. And I think there is a little bit of that was not supposed to be a dangerous day in the mountain, but it ended up becoming one. Any day could become dangerous just like that. Like it, it was so quick. 
Yeah, and that, you know, the group dynamics is often a, a big portion of accidents and whether it's in the summer or avalanches and and that speaking up, you know, it can be hard for different reasons and, and uh, but it's important. And then, you know, the respect of the group to listen to that person who has concerns. It's a good thing to recognize and a good thing to voice because I think that helps uh, groups be successful in the mountains is when everybody's looking and all eyes are looking for those hazards. And then if, then if people speak up, then the whole group can recognize it and talk through it. So that recognition and then communication within the group is a, is a big part of traveling together in the mountains. Like after the fact, I knew that, you know, we should have gone on the snowfield or we should have gone left. But in that moment, I didn't see it coming. Huge thank you, obviously. I mean, to Jenny Lake Climbing Rangers and to Case. Yeah, while it seemed like a really long time for us to be there, I mean, what hap- what needs to happen for you guys to get up there and how quickly you did, I mean, it boggles my mind anytime I try to think about it. I think about sometimes that I'm like, if they took more than half an hour, I wouldn't be here today. So I'm extremely grateful and in awe that they were able to get everything together so fast. And I guess I just can't stress how supportive everyone was who since then till now, everyone that I've met or interacted with is, which has been like super helpful for me. Shout out to our mother taking care of you you know we we love to do these high octane things out in the outside right it's like amazing but the negative like when something goes wrong so many people become impacted so if you don't properly prepare or get yourself ready like i never really thought about this the same way but it's almost selfish like if you're not in a group of three and you're or at least three you know multiple people you're not prepared for the situations you're in if you have to have the rangers come in to help you, like you're endangering them. Your family has to deal with whatever's going on with you. Like it's, there's more than just your own satisfaction to take into account when you're doing these types of adventures. The layers that we had put on Cassie, we, or at least the sweater that she had put on her, it was my sweater, for, it was my wool sweater. I put it back on and there was blood all over the front of it. And so I'm running. And this older gentleman uh, sees me running, covered in blood, carrying two pack ba- backpacks. And he's like, are you running from something I need to know about? <laughs> and I was like, no, you're good. And I just kept, kept running. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a vision of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. Find out more at backcountryzero.com.